Hi, you're listening to True Form, a podcast where I unleash what's on my mind because no one will listen IRL. In today's episode, I'm taking myself back in time to 2017. So around the end of 2018, I killed my MacBook. I have a pencil with a magnet attached to it and I accidentally left it on the hard drive. A few minutes later, it started making a strange alien sound and wouldn't start up. Luckily, my MacBook was 8 years old and I had already planned for its eventual demise. Everything was backed up on an external hard drive. Recently, I finally found the time to go through everything that was on the drive, and I stumbled across a personal essay that I wrote near the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Can you get any nerdier than that? I mean, who writes personal essays? Me, apparently. That's who. So at the end of 2017 and beginning of 2018, I had a lot of personal mental baggage, which is why I felt the need to write this essay. It was like free therapy. For the second time in my life, I had no idea what I was doing. I had nothing specific that I was working towards. The first time this happened was after graduating from high school and taking a year off because I wasn't ready for university. This time, however, I was an adult who, quote, should have been in the middle of a career. But there I was, completely lost. I wasn't working, and the part that was even more frustrating was that I had no desire to. Instead, I spent my days following my curiosity, taking online courses, taking in-person workshops and classes on various topics, reading tons of books, trying to learn new skills, trying new hobbies to see if any stuck. In other words, I wasn't just sitting around playing video games or watching TV. But what does one do when society tells you that you just have to find a job? any job, no matter how much you hate it, just to be considered a real adult who has something real to do. And so I started to get really nervous whenever anyone asked me the question, so what do you do? I've always hated that question, and I still do. But in that period of time when I felt completely lost, that question was exponentially anxiety-inducing. So I'm going to read the first two chapters of the essay that I wrote (laughs) in this episode and save the rest for future episodes, otherwise it would be way too long. So get ready to laugh with me because I'm really just putting myself out there and embarrassing myself on the internet. (laughs) Okay, so here goes. Rewind to 2017. Chapter 1. What do you do? Full disclosure, I am currently unemployed. Therefore, you can probably imagine why people asking me what I do makes me want to don a cloak of invisibility, steal all the snacks at the party, and run. The seemingly innocent conversation question, what do you do, has always been my number one dreaded question to receive from other people unemployed or not, and I never really knew why. And there's a footnote here that says, where are you from comes a close second. Yes, it does. All right. All I know is that it makes me sweat, so to speak. Whenever someone asks me what I do, I rarely have a solid answer. And when I do have a job, 
it's never a self-explanatory job, and I find myself answering the same questions over and over again, which makes it even more annoying because I didn't want to answer the question in the first place and now you're asking me to elaborate? Why does it bother me so much? It's just a harmless conversation starter, isn't it? Yet, sometimes I dread events where I have to meet new people. More on that later. But I can't hide forever. I normally have to mentally prepare myself before the event. The fact that I'm actually afraid of the question must mean that there's something else afoot. There's something about it that makes me feel like someone is reaching into the depths of my core and trying to fish for more than I'll give them willingly. Hashtag dark. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not alone in this. I've read that a lot of people out there don't like the question either. One of the reasons is that some people don't like their job and don't want to be defined by it. Or they're afraid of getting judged. The way I grew up, who you are and what you do are basically the same thing. You have to decide on the thing, study the thing, get hired to do the thing, master the thing, and do the thing until you're 65. You basically become the thing and don't have time for other things. Most people drop their hobbies when they get to university and mourn the loss of their past skills while being obligated to work a job that pays off student loan debt, a growling stomach, and rent. Tell me, who designed the system? When I was a kid, whenever I wanted to go to a friend's house, my mother would always ask me what their parents did for a living. It was her way of gleaning whether or not they were good people, aka people worth having in our lives. It always made me nervous whenever she asked because I never knew the answer. Footnote, not having an answer from my mom may or may not unleash hell. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> it never occurred to me to ask. Do kids ask their friends what their parents do? I certainly didn't. My main concern was not being a loner at school and having girls my age to play with. I had no concept of money, status, class, etc. My mother would paint a picture of their socioeconomic situation in her mind, going so far as to say whether or not they would try and assault me if I went to their house. But one thing's for sure, her constantly asking what my friend's parents did for a living had an impact on me. I hadn't realized this before, but her judgment of people's professions instilled in me that people would judge me for mine. That what I chose to do would directly reflect what people thought of me. That to be successful meant having a good job, but not just any job. It has to be a job that looks good to other people's eyes. Fast forward to 2019, damn, I am deep. Okay, let's move on. Rewind back to 2017. Chapter 2. What is success? Success has always been a fickle presence in my life. Sometimes I feel like I have it, and other times, not so much. There have been many moments in my life where I felt like I, quote, made it, but it was always short-lived. At some point, the novelty would wear off and I'd be looking for my next venture. Unlike what I was led to believe as a young, impressionable youth, success is not a fixed state, but an ever-changing one, depending on the circumstances. The thing about success is that it's all about perception, illusion, and appearances. In my first year of university, 
we had an assignment where we had to reach out to people who were already working in our quote desired jobs and arrange to have coffee with at least one of them to pick their brain. We had to have thoughtful questions prepared so that we didn't look stupid and waste their precious time. My professors always painted these professionals in the field as people who had no time to talk to nobodies. So, if you wanted to get their attention, you had to act like a somebody. I'm not a liar, and I'm not very good at bluffing, so this was a challenge for me. Footnote, I can act, but I can't bluff. There is a huge difference. End footnote. I managed to have coffee with someone who worked at an opera company. It went okay, and at one point, I think she may have misunderstood one of my questions and took a slight offense. Footnote, forever and always terrible (laughs) at networking. That is true. End footnote. Me being me, I wasn't the least bit sorry for having offended her, (laughs) mostly because I didn't see what could have offended her in the first place. I was just asking genuine questions and hoping for genuine answers. So what if I got it all wrong? I didn't have much experience. Imagination was all I was going on. But one of the things that really irked me about the experience was that although we had had coffee together, I wasn't automatically part of the club. I innocently thought that we would continue to correspond and that she would become a professional contact, read, part of my, quote, network that I was taught I needed to build. However, I doubt she wanted anything more to do with me once that coffee interview was over. Not sure why she agreed to meet me in the first place. How did she think it would impact her day? How did she think it would impact her life? What better things could she have done with her lunch hour than meeting with me? How do you break into a professional person's circle as a newbie? I've always felt the effort to be very one-sided. I always felt like some young nobody who's begging them to please let me sit at their table. It took me years to realize networking doesn't work that way. There shouldn't be a power dynamic or else the person, quote, higher up will always have the upper hand. Trying to climb up the social ladder is pretty much what networking is all about. Keyword, trying. When I hear that someone has a, quote, cool job, I want to know their story. How did they, a mere human like me, manage to get all that? Keyword, get. I might assume they're intelligent. I might assume they've got mad skills. I might assume they've used sorcery. They're probably also rolling in the dough. Not gonna lie, the fact that I went out for a coffee with this woman made me feel like I had moved up in the world when in fact I had barely moved an inch. Telling my friends about it made me sound cool. Like, I had coffee with someone who works at this opera company the other day. Hashtag perceptions. Hashtag appearances. Hashtag illusions. I stalked her LinkedIn page for like a year after our meeting without ever making further contact. What would I have even said? Hey, still thinking about that day? Are we friends yet? I was low-key waiting for her to move up and finally be in a position to hire me. I learned that people are more inclined to hire people they know. So I was ready to be like, hey girl, hey, hook a girl up. Trust me when I say I know what it feels like to grasp at loose threads. One day, 
while stalking her page, I found out that she had left her position at the opera company for something totally different. I was shocked because to me, she was successful. She had a job that I thought I wanted. How could she? Her changing job somehow made me feel like I was no longer part of her network. Footnote, I never was, lol. Past me was desperate and delusional af. Close footnote. I no longer wanted what she had. She was now unattainable. People who seem successful are perceived as more valuable and unattainable. If they notice you and make space for you in their lives, you've hit the jackpot. You look cool simply by being associated with someone who is perceived to be successful. When I was younger and trying to convince myself that I wasn't an introvert, I used to put myself out there and spend a lot of energy trying to turn strangers into casual acquaintances and casual acquaintances into friends, fake or otherwise. God forbid I reach out to any of these people if I had actual problems, but on the surface, it sure as hell looked like I was well-connected. Hashtag quantity over quality. Appearing like I had a lot of friends made me feel good. Even if these people couldn't care less if I ended up in hospital all of a sudden. Nowadays, I find that I no longer give a shit. If it clicks, it clicks. And if not, bye! I'm not going to drain my energy trying to make them realize I'm amazing. I learned from consuming popular culture <laughs> that relationships require hard work. What the fuck? Okay. And I'm not just talking about the dating kind of relationship. Any connection you have with anybody is considered a relationship, even if you hate their guts. Footnote, the Sims anyone? Under the Relationships tab, it shows you everyone from those you love, those you just met, to those you detest with a passion, going so far as to illustrate that passion with the bright red bar of eternal hatred. Close footnote. <laughs> For real though, real friendships don't require that much work at all. You're into it. You show up. It's coming up with excuses to tell someone you're not that into why you can't make it that's exhausting. When I was 19, I rolled with people older and more successful than I was. They weren't my real friends, but they were nice to my face at least. They probably weren't sure why I was always around. But I still remember one person who, upon finding out who I was at the time, in brackets, a university student, didn't want anything more to do with me. I couldn't advance her career or hook her up with anything or anyone, and she didn't think it worthwhile to even speak to me while we were at the same parties. I was hung up over it for a while, but now that I'm more mature, I totally get it. I used to think that I could be friends with everyone, that if I couldn't, then there was something wrong with me. I'm smarter than that now. For the past few years, one of my best self-care methods has been to not associate myself with people who add zero value to my life. Try it. Hashtag purge. They say even the wealthiest people can be unhappy amongst all of their riches. That even though they may look like they have it all, the one thing they can't buy is real love and real friendship. That is, having people around them who see them for who they really are and aren't just looking for advancement or favors. So what the heck is success then, if poor people want money and rich people want love? Is there a middle ground? 
perception, illusion, appearances. There seems to be a sub-chapter here called status dependence. So I'm going to read that. Status dependence. All this talk about false success brings me to status dependence. Status dependence is a little thing I philosophized, is that even a word, while having tea with my dear childhood friend. Status isn't fixed, but is dependent on whatever factors people perceive as denoting status. Take all of that away, and what are you left with? Part of the reason commercialism thrives is because material items and frivolity give us temporary satisfaction and feelings of success and higher status. Remember that adult crew I mentioned earlier? They were the colleagues of a man I was dating. He was quite a bit older than me and had the means to live a more frivolous life than what I lived normally. Therefore, I was going out to eat and drink regularly. I took cabs and stayed at a nice hotel. From the outside, my life looked glamorous. My friends have told me so. But without him, who was I? I was a university student who worked in retail and lived with my parents, just like most of my friends my own age. None of that, quote, status was my own. And it was temporary, no less. After that relationship ended, I was back to where I began, minus the fact that I had had that experience. Why is any of this important? For a period of my life, people didn't ask me what I did. They already saw the frivolity and the air of satisfaction that I carried with me and gravitated towards me naturally, probably assuming that I was successful. It was all an illusion. I was a humble sales associate, but it didn't even matter because I looked like I had a sweet life. I've been watching videos recently about visualization, the law of attraction, and manifesting more of what you want in your life. The idea is that if you believe yourself to be something, then you are that something. Acting a certain way tricks the brain into being more confident, unlike pretending to know what you're talking about when you don't. Like the bluffing I was talking about earlier, this is more like knowing and owning your own potential. You don't have to say or do anything differently. You just have to take what you already have and act like it's amazing. Apparently, I'd already tested this years ago before I even knew what I was doing. Now that I no longer have a job or anyone to make me look good by association, I'm more reserved and prefer to keep to myself. Therefore, I feel more vulnerable to people asking me what I do. Maybe I exude timidity, defenselessness, uncertainty. But the thing is, I've always been timid, defenseless, and uncertain. The only difference is that this time, I don't have a cool lifestyle to fall back on to prove my worth. Fast forward back to 2019. Okay, so those were the first two chapters of my personal essay called, So What Do You Do? I think it's super important that I'm able to access such an artifact, a glimpse into my own mindset from the past. I think it's crucial that we as humans learn to grow and embrace change, especially if those changes are for the better. I hope you enjoyed that as I did reading it. I am so insightful, like damn. <laughs> so look out for part two of this series where I'll read chapters three to four and hope you're having a great day. I'll see you next time. Bye.